Good afternoon, everyone. It is Office Hours with the Double Mics, and I'm on the mic. It's David Meltzer here with, uh, what is it, episode 532, and Mike Diamond and I, when we started this pre-pandemic by about three days, who would have ever thought we'd be closer to a 1,000 episodes than to zero? Uh, speaking of zeros, uh, I got my two favorite people here with me, the Double Mics, Mike Diamond and Michael Unbroken. How are my boys doing? What's up? I'm what's great. up? Happy Wednesday. I'm coming your way, Michael. I'm broken next week. We got a big event in Vegas. We'll be there. We're keynoting. I forget the name of the event, something experience, but uh, I know I'll be there. Speaking of experience, though, man, do I have a treat for you. Uh, raising elevate and elevating our frequency and vibration. Tiffany Bova is here. She is the chief growth evangelist at Salesforce and now an author in her newest book, the experience mindset. You guys know my favorite line of changing the way we look at things, the things you look at change. She's doing it, changing the way you think about growth. Um, and nobody should know that better than someone that works with Salesforce and many other companies. Welcome, Tiffany, to the Wacky Wednesday version of Office Hours. I'm thrilled to be here, David, and the two mics. Well, it's you're like, thrilled at the beginning. I feel surrounded by love. It's true. This is a very loving group, but uh, most people are thrilled when they're coming into the interview. We'll see how you feel when you are leaving it. Uh, but nonetheless, there's so much talk about mindset. And, uh, you know, there is a combination of mindset, heart set, and handset. We live in a practical world. And when we're talking about growth, especially company growth, there's a lot of pragmatic, realistic things that need to get done. Um, what have you learned or what are we talking about in the book to utilize this experience mindset in order to effectuate a very pragmatic tool in business growth? Such a big question. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that um, it's been an interesting journey. You know, I have been leading sales, marketing and customer service teams for almost 15 years. And then I advised companies now for almost 17 on, on how to really drive improved growth. And what I found over time is it's much more simplistic <laughs> than sort of everybody makes it, right? Sometimes we overcomplicate things because it helps us feel like we've got harder work to do or we may need more hands on deck or um, that it may take more time. But when you sort of peel back a lot of the noise when talking to executives about realizing growth in their companies, a lot of it comes down to the people. And so what is the experience of the employees um, in order to drive better experiences for customers? And if you can do those two things really well, you have a much better opportunity to create this flywheel effect of growth within the organization. And when you start talking about people with executives, many get a little uncomfortable, right? They don't know how to approach that. They don't know that the fastest way to get customers to love your brand is to get employees to love their job. And when you say things like that, they go, how do I measure love? How do I bring love into the work environment? You know, and, and it's just, uh, it's much more uh, simplistic than that. It's really just take care of your people. Uh, Tiffany, you said the great thing about re-looking at growth and and then the simplistic thing. We complicate things because there's too much information out there. And you talk about just engagement, right? And building rapport and your network work becomes your net worth in the end. 
what are some practical tools that you teach people from the beginning so they don't get overcomplicated? Because there's so many sales techniques and psychology of this and psychology of that. What's some simple things that people that are like someone that watching right now, they can look in about and understand the first basic things they can do? Well, it's a great question. If you are a individual contributor, my recommendation would be uh, do an inventory of your day. Where are you spending your time? Where are you adding the most value? Where are you getting the most joy? Where do you feel you're wasting the most time? When do you feel most productive and unproductive, right? You know, come up with a series of three or four or five questions like that. And then, you know, what I do is I color code my calendar. If it's something personal, if it's a phone call, if it's a video, um, if it's research, right? If it's networking. And that way I can really quickly look at my week and go, wow, I'm way over pivoted on one thing or another thing, or I have way too many meetings, or maybe there's a lot of personal going on, what's happening, you know, so very quickly the color code helps me. But it also helped me time block ways to find um, the opportunity to improve my productivity, and not by working harder, but working smarter. Could I retrain myself on using the tool that I live in day in and day out? Let's say like your CRM tool or a Slack or email, whatever it might be. Could I learn how to use it better so that I could give myself back an hour? Are there meetings I could get rid of that I'm not really needed in? Um, I'm just there for whatever reason. So I'd say as an individual contributor, right, inventory your day. If you're managing a small team, then I would ask your people individually, what's one thing that sucks up a lot of time for them? So they may not know yet, or they may not be disciplined enough to do that inventory. So ask them. And if it's things you can, as a leader, fix for them, or uncover there's a pattern, multiple people in the team have said the same thing, then go try and fix it. Because giving time back to people um, allows them to do what you've hired them to do and where they find the most joy and can add the most value. As you move further up the organization, the challenge becomes you get further away from the front line. And the further away you get from the front line, the further away you get away from your employees and the customers. So that requires you to actually once again, block time where you spend time with those employees in their environment, in the call center, in a sales environment, in a marketing meeting, in a product management meeting, whatever it is, and not as the you know, highest paid person in the company, right, or the most senior in the room, but really as a contributor asking and listening. You will uncover the answer to that question, Mike, sits with your employees and sits with your customers, but you have to be willing to ask those questions. Yeah, that's super powerful. One of the things that I think about a lot is as we're coming on the backside of the pandemic and the great resignation, as it were, we're seeing so many gigantic companies return to uh, more traditional work environments. Hey, we need people in the office. We see that this isn't working. We're disconnected remotely. And on the one hand, as the employee, you look at it and you may go, well, I want remote work. This is something I value, something I need. And then from a structural standpoint, as the employer, as leaders, executives, we see the negative impact that it has not only on our relationships, but on our customers and ultimately our bottom line. So in terms of looking at this from a growth perspective and, and adding a mindset shift, understanding what people want versus what is necessary, how do you navigate that and, and what we see the future of the employee-employer relationship being? Look, if you're a leader and you have a sort of expert's mind, it means 
I know everybody has to get back to the office because that's where we're most productive. I've been doing this for 25 or 30 years. That's the way we've always worked. That's the way we're going to continue to do it. And as we've heard in the news uh, in the last 24 or 48 hours, a very large company out of the U.S. has said, look, if you don't want to come back to the office, you can start looking for another job. Um, and so that, that fixed mindset or expert's mind does not give way for this beginner's mind, right? Giving yourself a little space and time to say, hold on, should we question the assumptions that we've had for a really long time? That the only way to be productive is in the office five days a week, eight or 10 hours a day, um, even though we're in cubes and we're doing remote meetings with people who are not even in the office or someplace else, is that the most effective use of, of time and does it make people more productive? Now, I'm not advocating that everybody should work from home all the time or everybody should work at the office, but I'm, I am challenging leaders to say, should we go team by team? Should we go group by group or office by office and identify by that particular role where and how are they most effective? How can we get the best productivity and value, right, and collaboration and creativity and all the things we strive for um, to create an environment for our employees? Are we doing that for them? And can we do it for them if they work part-time, you know, away from the office and part-time in the office? Once again, going back to allowing your employees to participate. And I think the great, I never used great resignation. I used the term, the great reflection, because I think people reflected on what they were doing and saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Or I don't want to do it that way anymore, or I'm burnt out. Um, so I would say, I don't think there's a hard, fast rule that the only way people can be productive is in the office and that they're more productive out of the office. I just don't think that is the right way forward. I think you have to go by role, by team, um, by region, by segment, um, also by industry, um, and really look for ways where you can get um, the greatest uh, engagement, willingness, um, support, collaboration for everybody, not just your internal employees, but your vendor partners, your partner ecosystems, um, and your greater shareholders. It's really for everybody. Yeah, well, having those options and opportunities today with the perspective, I call it the great realization. We came to a realization of the prioritization in life of individually, what do we want and how can we accommodate being more productive, accessible and gracious in the office, outside the office, in a car, in a campgrounds, on a boat, uh, who knows where you are. Uh, now, between your podcast, which is called uh, What's Next with Tiffany Bova, uh, dealing with innovation and growth and your Previous best-selling book, a Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Growth IQ, Getting Smarter About the Choices That Will Make or Break Your Business. I have found through our podcast that we have and the books that I've written that the latest and greatest book always has some generational inheritance of my podcast and the books and interviews and things that I've done in the past. Um, is there a common thread or an inheritance from the previous content that you have from the podcast and the other book into this book and how have you extrapolated or evolved the idea uh, that you've received through extraordinary experiences yourself in order to effectuate this idea of mindset and innovation and growth, uh, which a lot of people haven't uh, addressed, which I think for me is you, you and I share the same two languages, one mindset language, but two, time is my love language. So when anyone starts talking about color coding time in their calendar and utilization of activity, 
uh, you know, my heart is singing. I'm getting a little frisky, like it's time for the prom. I'm going to hug my time and my clock while you're talking, but go ahead. Where did this go? Where did this go? Where did we go, David? I told you it's Wacky Wednesday. All right. Well, so uh, in full, like, you know, mea culpa transparency, growth IQ was 10 paths to growth. And it was from my own, you know, experience as a leader, as well as uh, being a research fellow at Gartner for a decade, advising some of the largest technology companies in the world. And I figured, I, I thought I had it nailed, right? These are the 10 growth paths. You'd be hard pressed to, uh, you know, find something that I might have missed, right? And the very first path in that book was customer experience, like live and die by your customer, customer's true north, you know, customer centricity, we're customer obsessed, those things. Within the 60,000 word book, I probably mentioned employee 150 words, maybe. So in many ways, the experience mindset is the 11th path that I missed, which was employee experience. There's no way to do all the things I said in Growth IQ unless your employee base is engaged and satisfied and, by the way, willing to do all the things you're asking them to do. You can't launch new products. You can't delight the customer. You know, you can't design great products. If your lobby isn't clean and, you know, the FAQs on the website aren't written correctly and it, you know, takes 10 clicks for someone to buy something like those are all human decisions that are made. And so um, to the point, you know, from the time I wrote Growth IQ in 2018 to the time I started doing the research um, in 2021 for the experience mindset, during that five years, I really realized um, working at Salesforce, the power of culture and how that culture supports collaboration and how it really creates one of the most innovative companies in the world. And when you get those two things going well, you get that flywheel of growth, right? And, and obviously, um, Salesforce is the fastest growing enterprise software company uh, in the world. So you, you start to see that, but that research that I did, I wanted to prove, could I prove that causation and correlation between happy employee and happy customer drives greater growth? And sure enough, we were able to. So it's a great question, David, that it's really the 11th path of growth IQ that I missed. Um, and then I spent an entire book really closing the loop on that story of regardless of what decision you make towards growth, it has to start with employee experience. And that's really what the research showed. Can't start with the customer and work backwards, has to start with the employee and work outwards. Well, Tiffany, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We have other shows in other places. We definitely need you. I do have one quick question. Are you related to Dan Bova? I'm not. And I hear he's a great, isn't he a sci-fi writer? Yeah, he's a great yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so you'll have to tell him that I get asked that often, um, especially like on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Are you related to Dan Bova? And I'm like, yeah. you know, he's got a lot more best selling books than I do. But, you know, well, let's and, say it's and, in the name. <laughs> and Brad Meltzer has many more bestsellers than me. So we, we have the same experience as far as that goes. But you have held your own as far as authors, podcasters, and chief evangelists as far as growth goes and innovation. Say hi to Mark Benioff for me. I've known him since 99. Also a good friend who I'm sure you work with or have worked with in the past. So thank you for joining us. I know Mark, and Mike and Mike, they both would love to have you as well on their shows. Keep on doing what you're Anytime. doing and helping us. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Tiffanybova it. TiffanyBova.com. Check her out. Check out the book, The Experience Mindset. Might as well listen to all the podcasts and read the other books as well. Thanks for joining us. Oh, hold it up. It'll be at the airports. Thank you. Awesome. And next up, I don't know what Raluca's doing. She's taking a nap, I think. Uh, this is what happens when you have employees remotely in Vegas. 
that probably she's at the blackjack table producing the show and in the smoothest transition, transition possible, possible. <laughs> <laughs> why is it why echoing, is it echoing now? now oh my oh, goodness Incredible. Incredible. Dr. Dr. Andy, Andy Logan is in the house, senior research scientist, scientist at the, at the Center, Center for Creative Leadership, CCL.org. Thank you for joining us here on Office Hours, Dr. Logan. Oh, thanks, David. Really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. Well, we were going to talk about leadership um, in the workplace, but the lessons come from my background in pro sports. And, uh, you know, I tell people all the time, I played I'm an average division three football player and I learned more on the football field than I did in undergrad, business school, law school, or the 35 years of doing business. I still go to the basics in leadership and team work from what I learned playing sports and I watch my son do it. And I encourage anyone uh, to learn those lessons. What have you drawn uh, from professional sports that has helped you become an expert in workplace leadership and uh, teamwork. Yeah, thanks. That's a really good point, David. So at the Center for Creative Leadership, our mission is all about making good leadership abundant. And the way we do that is we try to instill and share those leadership lessons like you're sharing, like you were mentioning, from anywhere we can find them. And so my colleagues and I, we started digging into some of the latest research on team effectiveness. And there's a really good research coming out of the sports world. And the beauty of that is one, those lessons, they really, they stand out, they pop out. Our clients get them, they resonate the same way like you were saying, your experiences on the field resonate. And they really have some strengths in terms of, it may not seem like what the Boston Bruins are doing or what you know the LA Kings are doing, could have any re relationship to uh, your sales team or your marketing team or your senior leadership team. But in fact, there's a lot of consistencies there with they're trying to meet certain standards, there's uh, performance objectives they've got to hit. And the beauty of research that comes from a sports world is that there's some consistency. You can watch teams over time, how well they're doing over the course of a season, over the course of a game or match. There's consistent rules across the different leagues and games, so you can start comparing apples to apples. And so we've really tried to dig into that research to give some key insights to our, our clients and, our, and the folks that we work with. Andy, Andy, have you, have you, have you discovered what happens with the individual? Because you said team sports, but what about an elite individual athlete like a tennis pro or a sprinter or a wrestler or a UFC fighter? Sure, they have to have a team around them, but are they are they focused a little different? Do they you know do they become too driven and too obnoxious? And do they have the ability to work with teams like people that are in team sports? Yeah, it's a great question, Mike. So. What really got me into this kind of area of research is there's this thing called the too much talent effect in teams. And what's interesting about this research is we see it in a lot of different places that- oh, I have to interrupt. This is the way I feel every time I do Wednesday's office hours. And that's right, exactly. Yeah, there's, just, there's just too much floating around. It's, it's, it's difficult, difficult when, when I have that, that same, same feeling, David. David. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, Andy, you've got you got echoes, echoes, but this is worth it. Yeah, no, so to, to your point, you know, if, if Mike, it's a really good question. If you have these kind of star individual players, they still show up in organizations, right? So like if you look at patents, the number of patents that an individual produces, or if you look at sales, or even in the political realm, if you look at the people who fundraise the most, 30% of all productivity often goes down to only 10% of a workforce. So you have these 10% of these stars who are really productive. But what's interesting is there's research like you were alluding to where 
you take those stars and you put them in teams and the benefit to the team starts to tail off a little bit. So you could put six, seven, eight, ten stars on the same field and they're not going to waltz their way to a championship. They're not going to waltz their way to a title. There's a lot of times where those teams, they fail. They don't even get as good as kind of the teams that have far, far less talent. And that's what the too much talent effect is about is you can add more and more stars to a team and eventually you get diminishing returns and sometimes even a downturn in the performance you would expect. So there really is this kind of tension between a star as an individual. And then to your point, Mike, you put them in a group and sometimes things go awry. What do you do do in the situation situation where you do have this rock star? You have somebody who comes to the table, a Mike Diamond, a David Meltzer, a me, and then you put us three together and we have to figure out how to (laughs) allow each other's egos to exist in this space. And so what I'm what I'm really wondering is from a leadership perspective, top down looking at this, I have a team, maybe we have two or three of these rock stars, these incredible people with too much talent. How do you meld them into a cohesive unit against the goals, mission, vision, and values of the brand and what the what the objections are? Yeah, that's a really good, really good question. So there's kind of two schools of thought on this. So interestingly, one of them is you keep the stars separate. You kind of give them their own kind of orbit to live in. And that way, those kind of those status conflict, those personality clashes don't really come to a head. But like you're saying, Michael, I mean, right here, you've got three stars on this call. You wouldn't want to separate you. That's that's going to take away from the mission, right? So another approach is, well, can you figure out a way in which you can distribute kind of the workflow so it actually leverages everybody's talents to the maximum. We're actually looking at that right now, speaking of sports data, with, if you think of like soccer teams, you can have, some teams can have upwards of three, four, sometimes even in the World Cup, an entire pitch full of soccer stars. And we're looking at how the ball gets distributed among those teams to see if that's a way to fully unlock the talent. And as you would expect, as you get really super talented teams, you actually want that ball to fly all around the pitch. So if I'm gonna make an analogy to, to your all show, you really want an opportunity for Michael and Mike and David, all of you to kind of get some airtime to let those star talents show, as opposed to when you have maybe just one star, maybe they can absorb more of that kind of time on error in the soccer pitch, absorb that ball more. So the question of how do you stack your team and how you distribute them, maybe stars across multiple teams, as well as perhaps how the work gets distributed within the team. And I, I'd be amiss if I didn't, uh ask about my favorite movie which is based off of a true story which illustrates by far exactly what you're talking about um and that's miracle on ice i think it's an incredible if you haven't seen it i'm trying to get my 13 year old to watch it i finally got him after he lost his authentic swing in in italy this summer to watch bagger vance i haven't got a particular circumstance to get him to watch miracle on ice but herb uh, does probably the best job I've ever seen of anyone on earth. And which has resulted, by the way, in the number one sports moment of the century, over 100 years uh, for the United States, at least, if not the world. Um, have you either personally analyzed it, as the team analyzed it? Because there's so many nuances of what you're talking about. I would love to hear what you learned or your personal thoughts about that movie, about the 1980 Olympic hockey team that beat Russia. And then went on to win the gold medal and have to win another game, which is almost as, as a sports person, as impressive as beating the, the Olympic team, not to have a letdown to beat even the, another great team uh, to win the gold medal. Yeah, David, it's a really good case study of what we're talking about here, where 
you know, if you look at the Miracle on Ice with the USA team and the, the talent they had versus the USSR in that time period, I mean, they're just gulfs apart. There's a chasm between the amount of talent in those two teams. And if you look at that movie and if you kind of learn more about that team, you can see, well, they made up for that talent with all the other kind of what you might call intangibles. And so at CCL, we talk about several of those things like a collective mindset. And you can see in that movie that those players on that ice, they knew their roles, they knew other team members' roles, and hockey is a great example of collective mindset really emerges when if a team member closes their eyes, for example, on the rink, they probably know where every other person on that shift is going to be at any given moment. And you can see that in Miracle on Ice where you've got players who might not be as talented, but with that collective mindset, they move as a unit, they flow as a unit. And then the other piece is the cohesive relationships, right? So it's all the off the ice stuff that really is kind of dramatized in that movie where you can be fantastic with the talent, you can have that collective mindset, but you've also got to have that trust, that psychological safety, all of the things that often you build in the locker room, on the travel, things that may not happen while you're actually doing your job, but really are important as well. Yeah, I, before I let Mikey go, my favorite thing in that movie that just was amazing, the first time I saw it, because I've seen it a hundred times, uh, when he gets all these kids that are not as talented as the USSR or even close who hated each other because they have competed against each other in college. And they literally have an innate uh, distaste and disdain for each other. And he cuts some of the better players and he has, and he somehow has everyone hate him <laughs> so that they won't hate each other. And uh, I think if anyone wants to watch what we're talking about here, that's the movie of the century besides the sporting uh, success of the century that illustrates what you're doing. Mike, you got the, uh, another question for us? Yeah, so you've got three, three talented people, but they're in different areas, which is great. Now, you have two talented people that they're both in the same area, like maybe a, a Kobe and a Jordan. Do you keep the one with the better attitude or the better work ethic? It's a great question, Mike. I would say really it comes down to maybe this is where if you're the leader and you get to make that call where your strengths play in, right? So if you feel like you can better manage that attitude, if that's necessarily kind of the drawback for one of the stars, maybe that's what you lean into. You can, if you think of your own, knowing your own skill sets, knowing your own blind spots, whereas maybe if the work ethic is something that you value more, you can handle better, that might be what you lean into. The interesting thing is, in a lot of situations, though, I mean, it's really kind of fun to pontificate if we had you know, Kobe or Jordan, a lot of managers and leaders, they don't have that choice in their organization. Their team is their team. <laughs> and so in that situation, that's where these other kind of things like the, the relationships that you're building, the collective mindset, you know, the, the distribution of work in your team, those are the kind of things where you don't really have a lot of control over who's in, who's out, and you're working with what the roster you have. Those are things that are usually pretty universal in adding some, some value to your team. Awesome. And, and, Andy, um, Andy, Andy, the the question that comes to mind for me is: so David's favorite movie is Miracle. My favorite sports movie: it's a tie. Any given Sunday and Mighty Ducks two, completely different ends of the spectrum. But I got to know, Andy, what is your favorite sports movie and why? You know, for me, honestly, it's it's probably it's a really good question. You know, um, it's probably going to be. Um, Oh, man, I don't know. I'm blanking. I Jerry Maguire. Run <laughs> Solid for sure. 
Oh. Yeah, you know, honestly, I might steal yours, Michael. I would say maybe Mighty Ducks. I mean, if I go back to like how many times I've watched those, you know, the, the feel-good story or like another one too from like childhood that I probably burned through another time is like Little Giants, right? So you got like the kids and the football pitch and all kind of the, the human element to that. Yeah, maybe those from kids. I can't, I'm trying to think of like, since you mentioned like, you know, the, the Miracle on Ice and what's like a more recent good sports movie? I don't know if I've Rudy, seen like a really Rudy, good Rudy, Yeah, those are classics for sure back a bit for the classics and those are the ones that all come to mind i can't think of a good recent one and i think blindside might be one of the more recent ones that was very good but there, there's a lot out there but i think the bigger lessons are in the collective consciousness and the coordination and collaboration of leaders and teams and i think next time we have andy logan on i'd love to learn could you have a team with kobe and michael on it that would win um, and see how, see how that would, would roll, out. roll out. The senior, senior research scientist at the, at the Center of Creative Leadership, leadership ccl.org, CCL. learn about, about the workplace leadership, leadership and the teamwork, teamwork that's, that's necessary, necessary to develop, to develop in, the in the corporate environment, environment by, by watching, watching and analyzing, analyzing sports. sports. No better thing I could think of doing. Thanks for joining us, Andy. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate the time. Awesome. You know, people want jobs in sports, and it's like, here's a doctor, a scientist uh, in organizational uh, relativity, and, and here here he is watching sports all day, which is super cool. <laughs> I was going to call you out because you always told me Rudy was your favorite movie. Yeah, yeah. You're like, Rudy's my, because it reminds you of you. You're like, Rudy's my favorite movie. I'm like, Wait, I expect you to say yeah, Rudy. Angelo oh, Pizzo. Okay. Angelo Pizzo is also a good friend. So, and we, you know, Lee, uh, we were technical consultants at, Lee Steinberg on any given Sunday, uh, which is why Warren and everybody's in that movie as well as in Jerry Maguire. Ah, interesting. Very cool. You know, we get to finish with greatness and uh, the CEO of greatness group is here to join us, Gina Mullicone. Uh, and she has a way of doing what great coaches should do is bringing the best out of people. And, uh, I was really excited to have her on because I'm constantly trying to do that in my life is bring the best out of people. And there's a variety of different ways of doing so. So uh, welcome, Gina, to Office Hours, Wacky Wednesdays, by the way. So be oh, careful. Thanks for thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, Wacky Wednesday. Well, that that's 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 a little bit. I mean, we got a blue moon today, so nice. <laughs> everything's hitting the fan around here. Exactly. And Mercury was in retrograde, I think, a couple no, of days No, it wasn't. It is. If oh, it is still is. Okay. I know like mine wrong. is. It's very clearly in retrograde. <laughs> I'm glad that you know that. Then that allows us to really work within the context of the same wavelength, the same frequency. Um, but it's not easy to bring the best out of people. And you, in your coaching business, really have made a science of trying to get the best out of people and knowing what to want or knowing who to help and who can help us, whatever it may be. What are some of the game changing uh, things that we can do uh, as coaches to, you know, be able to bring greatness out of people to bring the best out of them? You know what, this is, this is what I, of all the things I teach and speak about, this is the most important thing for anybody who works with other people. And you guys were kind of touching on it as I was coming into the studio. If someone doesn't want to change, there's literally nothing you can do to change them. And if someone wants to change, there's nothing you can do to stop them. And as a coach, you have to vet for that. So behind me, I don't know if you can see all the chalk is a mess, but- Rain, man. 
the process of change is, is my jam. That's, that's everything I do is this process. And what I teach is you've got to vet for burning desire to change and 100% coachability or compliance or willingness or whatever you call it. If you have those two things, if someone's a 10 out of 10 for desire and 10 out of 10 for willingness, there's literally nothing you can't achieve. You, you will achieve your goal. But if there's any doubt in either one of those two um, metrics, you're pushing water uphill, bottom line, as a coach. Now, you are talking about what do you do if you don't have a, a say in the matter, if they're your people, but you don't have permission to change them. Well, that's when you have to be more flexible than they are and know how to remove the barriers, you know, as they're running, you're moving things out of the way. So that's so great. I love how you said that because I deal with addicts all the time and I try to tell them that if you're not willing to do the work I give you, I can present the opportunity, but you've got to step into the gap and have faith in the process. When you, when you went, I love how you said that if you don't want to be a lead, it's like the Navy SEALs, this isn't the right program for you. Right. I'm sorry. Just go, go do another program. When you started to go down that direction, did not that you question yourself, did you start to think, wow, do people really have this mindset you, in the sense, you know what I mean? Cause a lot of people talk it. And then when you drop the hammer on them, they don't really have the bandwidth to really do the work. Did it, did you start to kind of like, well, mm, can people really do this? I've gotten better at getting, I don't take them. And I actually try to turn them away. In fact, I turn away more people than I, than I personally work with. Now we teach a lot of coaches. So I, my private clientele list is quite short, but I'm like, a, I'm like a, a crazy person, not letting anybody in who doesn't, I, I have all, I have what, what, I have this sort of system before I see them, I call them ordeals. It was based on something that Milton Erickson used to do. He was a world renowned hypnotherapist, amazing guy. Right. And he used to have this thing before he would take you as a client. I call it Erickson's mountain. He'd say, go climb that mountain. It used to be called Squaw Peak. It's called something else now. It's near Phoenix. And so one day I was speaking in Phoenix and I thought, I'm going to go climb Erickson's magic mountain, thinking it's all vortex or whatever. I climbed it, got to the top, came down. And I was like, man, I'm a fraud. I didn't feel anything. And so I was talking to my mentor and I was like, what's so magical about the mountain? I didn't feel a thing. And he was like, what the hell are you talking about? It was an ordeal to establish coachability. Erickson said if they would climb the mountain, hypnotizing them was easy. And I was like, oh. So I now have ordeals before I see my clients. So I won't even see you if you don't pass the ordeals. And then after the breakthrough, after you get to that next level, then it's it's a pile of tasks until you can't not do it that way. Because I'm in the business of actually creating change of what they want. And the only way to do that is break the pattern, make the pattern. I, I, I love I that. I, I have a I paper have a, yeah. example of that, just so you know. I uh, Because people ask me, how do you deal with so many people requesting your help? And I will always say, I ask them, hey, I'm more than happy to help you. I'm more than happy to take the time. Just send me a paperclip. And I've never thought of it. I'm creating an ordeal. And, you know, I do have, you know, someone once sent me a three-foot paperclip from Australia. And I should have been smart enough to say, send, send me the money uh, instead of the paperclip. That would have been a better ordeal for me than having this giant three-foot useless paperclip. It's good for the story. Um, but I... I can't tell you 99% of the people that are tell me on the phone, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, Mr. Meltzer, for you to help me with my business. 
but can't even take the time to send me a paper clip. So I love that. Not quite the magic mushroom mountain in Arizona in the vortex of Sedona, tripping face, but more importantly, just a paper clip. Go ahead, Mikey Unbroken. Yeah, I actually love that. I do the same thing with my clients, but it begins with a 35 minute writing exercise. Cause I'm like, if you're not willing to write for 35 minutes, I can't help you for the next 35 years. Um, Gina, I'm really curious, you know, I, I work with childhood trauma survivors and by nature, many of us are very resilient. In fact, all so basically hosts, Mike, you work with everyone. That is, that is true. You know, and that, that's kind of where I'm, I'm moving towards here. Anyone that's been born. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I deal with childhood trauma victim. Okay, good. So everybody that has a pulse, that's who Mike works with. That's just, exactly just right. Just to clarify as his coach, he has a big, big realm. Unlike Mike uh, up top who just deals with addicts like me, but go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, I think about resiliency all the time and how we help people establish it based off of their, their prior experiences. And I'm wondering for you with this being a, a big part of what you do, how do you help people who don't believe in themselves? Right. Cause I, I sit and I look and I go, don't you see this thing in front of you that I see? And so I'm wondering, Gina, like, how do you help people navigate that realm and, and really give themselves their flowers? So I use some of the techniques that I use are are a bit um, novel in the sense that sometimes someone can't believe because of what's currently occupying that space. So breaking that pattern, whether I use and I, I use a lot, especially for trauma, I use time something called timeline therapy, which is a modality that allows us to change the perspective using time as the variable, which is a big thing, and. Once we remove what's the obstacle that's in the way, the new belief can be adopted. Um, another technique that I use is, uh, is an NLP technique using something called submodalities. It doesn't matter what it is, but the point, what it does is it, again, it, it removes the, it, it actually, what it does is desensitizes the limiting belief and then brings the new belief in more powerful. And then again, like I said earlier, it's about tasking that into habit. It has to become dominant habit. Otherwise, it's just this cool thing you did last Wednesday, right? It's not the dominant neural network. So you have to remember that. Um, and the, the third thing is my famous kind of, you know, not so nice question, which is how's that working for you? Like, I'm not the belief police, and I'm not the greatness police. Like, I, I used to think I was and my life was really insane. But then I realized that's where I came up with if someone doesn't want to change, there's nothing you can do to change them. While it's I'm, I'm compassionate that they don't believe in themselves. And that does break my heart on a level. It's not my journey. And so all you can do is hold space. And, and that's why my why is to reveal greatness. It's there. And I'll help reveal it. But you got to ask for me to help you first. And how do we keep a pragmatic perspective? You know, where I'll even take, for example, my two friends here, one of the challenges that I have is that I sometimes fall into the trap of wanting more for them than I feel they want for themselves and within the context of my expertise. I think and, that's and how to make yourself crazy.com. It certainly is. No, seriously. It, oh, I know. I, because I know that's who we are. I mean, at the core of, if you're a coach, you're, you're driven usually by wanting to help, period. But there's this fine line, and, and I cannot tell you enough. There's there's someone, it's like you teach the man to fish that whole parable, right? The, 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 if they come to you and they want it more than they want to breathe, then that they'll own that change forever. If you drive any part of it and you're not there, then it's almost 
they, they won't have it if you're not there. It's amazing. I, I got to have you back as well to talk about timeline therapy. Because yes. I'm, I'm a time, like, I think I almost scared uh, Miss Bova there when I'm like, it's my love language. You know, I love, you know, highlighting my calendar. It's like, I want to go to prom with the calendar. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> literally doing that while waiting to get on your call, it was coloring things in. <laughs> so Timeline therapy. Oh my God. Cause for me, time's the dependent variable of all matter. Uh, we do have time for one more question. I'm going to let the strongest of the two uh, go ahead and ask it. <laughs> why did you say that because we both respect each other so much like there's no ego no you had already me. unmuted i just decided it no i mean i'm saying um so it's you, wednesday you, you're true you've done a lot of nlp which i i've used as well which i love when you talk about submodalities and trauma and i the one thing that you said which did you come from people that were inspiring you to change or did you just step into it yourself by watching other people that did great things? I think I've been doing it for all my lifetimes. Um, so I think in this Girl. one, I'm just refining it. Um, it, 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 it really, I mean, if I look back to even, even this childhood, I was setting up skating parties in my backyard to show off my friends who were good at skating and raising money for Ronald McDonald house or whatever. So it, it's always been there. It's just, um, I think, you know, you know, the movie, the sixth sense, uh, right. So for me, I actually see everyone's greatness. And this is back to what David said. Like I used to take it on It'd be like, Oh my God, you could be this and you could be that. And it used to be, it was so overwhelming. It was like in the movie when he didn't know what he was seeing. Right. And then when I realized, oh, just because I'm seeing it doesn't mean they're going to actualize it. So I could point it out and go like, hey, I, I see this potential. You let me know when you're ready. And I'm not going to move a muscle until you do. And when that happens, and, and this is how I've even parented my own now adult children. And I can't even tell you how difficult that was. Timeline therapy is is probably the most powerful thing I know. I mean, I'm a master trainer of NLP, timeline therapy, hypnosis, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when my kids were struggling in their teen years to stand back and be like, mm, until they would ask me for help was, was, if I could do that, I can do anything. And, and my daughter took one of my courses as an adult. Why didn't you t tell me this sooner? And I was like, okay. So, but now they own it because they were ready. I don't know how else to say that. Yeah, planting seeds under trees you may never sit under as Dennis Whiteley taught me years and years ago. And ironically told me when I was in my 20s that it would drive him nuts because in the sales realm, he felt I had unlimited potential and I would drive him nuts because he wanted me to be where I am at 55, at 25 and uh, he, like you said, it's it's uh, a guarantee to, to be matting. I have four children and I work with it. I'm going to have to uh, ask you to come back, Gina. I have other shows. I know my boys here, they have shows as well. The world needs oh. more of you. When I saw the scribble behind you, I thought of the movie, The Beautiful Mind. It's uh, <laughs> one of my favorites. I bet. But you have a beautiful mind. And thank you for sharing uh, some of the things that are in it because you are changing the world for those that are willing to change the world with you. We certainly are, and I would love to do more personally with you. I know the double mics as well. The Thank you for gracing mic. us with uh, your perspective and the education and experiences of multiple lives. I caught that. I, I don't know if you heard me scream over you. I did. Uh, I'm a big 
big best options person. And I'm sure you and I and Mike and Mike, we've shared experiences in previous times as well. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you soon. Thanks Thank for joining us. Thank you so us. much. I want to, can I contribute one more thing to yeah, you? Yeah, please. So when you look at someone and you see greatness and they're not actualizing it, consider this, and this is a deep thing. This is for coaches only. It's your projection. You're not actualizing something in your own greatness and they're doing you the service of putting it back to you. So if you go out and be great, when you experience that, typically they are unleashed to be able to be who they are. That's, that's perception is projection. That's basic Jungian psychology. Yeah. Well, we all know players win games, but coaches win players and you're right. winning many players. So right. thanks Gina for joining us. Check out her book, check out what she does. You will not regret it. If you're willing to do the work, she's willing to help you get there. Gina Malacone. Thanks for having me. Of greatness group. It was great having you. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. You get that? Great having you. That was awesome. That's right. Oh, oh. oh my God. It's, it's so me. good. All right. Takeaway of the day. Yeah. Oh, Go Mel, so I got to ask you something. Uh, I've been giving Raluca a hard time. When I came and did the playbook, when's the episode area? It's been like four months now. I do not know. That's not my job. Um, what did Raluca tell, <laughs> tell you? I don't know. She's sleeping in Vegas. That's the problem. Hey, I'm at the blackjack that. table. Okay, so oh, I interviewed Mike Diamond at SoFi Stadium, correct? Four months ago. Four <laughs> months ago. Has it aired, Merluca? It, it did not. Uh, I let Justin know and the other uh, team members. So What was Justin's excuse? Where, where, where did the blame Wait, wait, wait hold on, hold on. Well, this is the best. I'm on a weekly show with you for three years, <laughs> and it takes me four months to get a at Sulfite. I'm not I mean, sure Michael and Bolton has ever been on my podcast. I can't imagine the the, the, the length the length that someone's going to have to wait for anyone well, waiting. I, I just want to tell you, we've <laughs> over 1,600 episodes, so we're really not that picky. Um, but more importantly, uh, Luca, what what did Justin say? <laughs> Justin said he has to review with you. He has to talk to you. This is like one of my best friends in the world who has done five. He's like Mike Diamond. Forget it. We'll take care of it. Mike who? Mike who? Diamond? I got to share this story because this is the kind of shit that drives you crazy being a boss. Or like, so listen to this. So I'm at in Scotland with Sam Taggart, who runs the D to D con. He's hired me in so many different capacities, over six figures he's paid to me beyond being on my podcast. And so he was telling this amazing story about how, you know, he licked the toad and he was doing ayahuasca and like all these amazing things. And he had like this unbelievable experience, right? And I'm calling him out and making fun of him. And he, in front of everyone that's paid like a lot of money to be at the mastermind with me and Sean Dill and Lacey Book in Scotland, he says, that's okay. He goes, I did a podcast with Dave and he never aired it. <laughs> Are and you now, serious? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, Raluca, I'm trying to bring the best out of her. And so I love the way she that's goes below the line. She was good. Like, she was oh, I see my time in every week, but I really... I, I just accepted the answer from Justin. I got to talk to Dave and then never mentioned to Dave like or Justin, hey, we need to get back to Mike to see where this podcast is. I will personally call Justin after this. I will personally call you as I have hopefully brought the best out of Raluca 
to take accountability, which is another lesson of today. But anyway, Raluca, thank on, you for joining us. We look forward to hanging out with you in Vegas. I don't want to give, hold on, hold on. I don't want to give Little Ruka a hard time. She was on it. Justin dropped the ball. But I know it, Raluca's really on point. That if she, you, you say something, she cares. Justin, Justin, Justin blew, no, sure Justin blew her off. Justin blew her off. I am she accountable. No, there I we go. Thank you, well. Raluca. She okay. is accountable. I, I'm okay. And that's why she will win. That's why she okay. will win because she's she always gets back to me with And she knows when she's made a mistake. Justin makes a mistake all the time. She should have followed up. Mike Diamond will take Raluca off again. I'll see you in Vegas, Raluca. Hey, oh, by the way, I want to congratulate Raluca because this was a hell of a show coordinated with three hell of a guests and guess what oh it's Raluca's husband's birthday today and she's still oh. taking the time Radish Happy is birthday. his name he is a tasty <laughs> Radish and he's handsome and he's smart and he's such a good team member for us as he's well. a good human Please wish him a happy birthday from all three we'll idiots do. on this show we love you Raluca thank you for happy being birthday. thank you Raluca <laughs> all right mike what's right. your takeaway my takeaway well you know what i loved is uh inventory so you can't change people but i would say make them take inventory <laughs> ask him how's it working out and if it's not working out the way they want it then say okay here's the strategy and techniques to live an empowering life but i'm going to give them to you but you got to do it Right, I'm not going to force anyone anymore. And I love that because it was like that whole conversation, step into the gap. But if you're not willing to do it, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't carry you up the mountain. I love it. For me, uh, Tiffany and uh, Andy really touched on this. And I thought it was important because I think we forget that not everything is always going to be the same answer. And it was really about looking at and evaluating different circumstances for different outcomes. And I, I think honestly, I mean, even with myself, my team knows that I, dude, I get so single-minded sometimes. I'm like, do it this way. How I said, this is the way that we get it done. And then I forget because it's what we do as human beings. And I go, oh yeah, that's right. This isn't how it works for David. That's just how it works for Mike. We need to circle back and get clear, concise communication so that we can continue towards the goal. And I think Tiffany did a phenomenal job as well as Andy really narrowing that in. And that's something that I just went through this past week. That was a great reminder. So it's very serendipitous. Yeah, great takeaways. Great guest, by the way. And congratulations again. And thank you to both Mike's and Raluca for uh, being of service and helping tie all these things together with these extraordinary people with their extraordinary mindset. You know, for me, it's everyone's on their own timeline. And that's why we didn't even get into the timeline therapy. Um, but I know what you guys do and how well you do it. And I know Tiffany and uh, Dr. Logan, Andy, as well as our last guest, Gina, it's amazing how they all have a hyper awareness of where people are and it's integrated in what you said, Michael, uh, like where on your timeline of you, Gina mentioned her daughter and like, why didn't you bring this up before? Uh, she may have actually brought it up before, but it wasn't the right time, uh, in the workshop leadership teamwork space. Like it's coordinating, not only these super talents, but where they are on their timeline, because, you know, LeBron James is super talent, but where is he on his timeline today in coordinating with Anthony Davis or Kyrie Irving or whoever else it may be? And then also just thinking about the timeline when we're looking at 
an experienced mindset for growth, right? Not everyone's on the same timeline of growth in, in what they want in their profession or their person. So that timeline aspect was for me so important to allow people to work within the context of their timeline. Don't be afraid to plant the seeds. Don't be afraid to qualify them, vet them, coordinate, collaborate with them, but try to delve into, hey, where are you on your timeline? You know, not just what you want, but what you want within the context of that timeline uh, to best bring the best out of the greatness out of everyone. Uh, and we had three great guests, two great hosts with me today. And we luckily are on a similar timeline to empower others, to empower others, to live in abundance and to be happy. I want to thank Gigi as well, who's here from the other side of the world. Gentlemen, I hope to see you guys soon, especially in Las Vegas next week. Michael, we got so much going on. Uh, it's easy for you to swing by. We'll be in studio, meetups, speeches, VIP dinners, everything going on next week. I'm hoping I can give you a big hug at the very least, but more importantly, get some more content that we won't publish uh, captured at the least. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> Mike Diamond, I'll call you tonight. I love you. Happy birthday, Radish. All right, everyone. Slow draw McGraw. Reluca got rid of my boys. All right, here we go. Thank you, everyone. Just as a recap, I will be in Fort Myers uh, on Friday doing a meetup, speaking. Uh, come and join me in Fort Myers, Florida. Avoid the hurricane. Come on down to southern Florida. It might be a tiny bit windy, but we certainly would love to see you there. Our meetup is not at noon, but Reluca, once again, uh, it's uh, they did not accept noon, so it's later. You have to call Nick and blame him as well. But I believe it's 2 p.m. now. Uh, in Fort Myers, Florida, Eastern Time. Email me if you want to know or get in my text community. We'll be alerting you where the meetups are in Fort Myers this week. Flor Florida, Las Vegas is Thursday. That time has changed too, Reluca, because our friend Jake gave us the wrong uh, information for that time, but it is on Thursday. The VIP dinner is 7 p.m. on Thursday. I know that. We have meetups, VIP dinners. We have speeches. We have free Friday trainings. We have office hours uh, to help people group-wise on Mondays, which Gigi's always there to be with us as well. Just make it easy on yourself. Either join my text community or, or email me, david at dmeltzer.com, so I can help you. Most importantly, as we prove, we are all human. That's why we want to be more interested than interesting. We're all human. That's why we want to be kind to our future selves and do good deeds. Be human. Be happy live in abundance, help other people, and join us more often. Email me, david at dmelter.com. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow. Be kind.